to the podcast of Unity Fort Worth. In it, you'll hear this week's message and meditation. If you'd like to hear and see the complete service, you can always find it at unityfortworth.org or on the Unity Fort Worth Facebook page. Unity Fort Worth focuses on positive and practical Christianity with a willingness to explore the entire world of religion and spiritual thought. Unity Fort Worth streams live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. So, long time ago, a Unity minister had, um, you know, had a task to do. The board asked him to raise some money from the congregation. And so he thought, okay, let's try something different. And he went up to the congregation doing a service and then said, you know what? You are always so generous already, but today I want to really see how much you can put into your generosity. And so for that person who gives the most today, that person will have the choice of three hymns for our next Sunday service. So the service went on, love offerings were collected, and then the board kind of got back to the minister and said, yes, we had a $1,000 donation, never happened before. And he said, oh my God, a $1,000 donation, do we know who? And he said, yes, we do. And then uh, they pointed to an old lady in the back somewhere, and then the minister said, "Would would you come to the front, please? And so everyone clapped and celebrated, and everyone was really excited about the $1,000. So, well, now, for your generous contribution, um, you get to choose three hymns. And the old lady got very excited. Well, I choose him, him, and him. Everyone got what they wanted, right? Well, to talk about money is not easy from the pulpit. In fact, most ministers avoid it. When we talk amongst each other, when we talk about, you know, have you talked about tithing before? And he said, oh, I haven't really talked about it. And he said, what about if you raise money or anything like that? Oh, I don't really want to talk about it. It's a topic that for some reason, even among ministers, um, doesn't seem to be very popular. I happen to be one of those who actually has a lot of fun with it because there's so much we can learn about money itself, the energy of money, the spirituality of money, or as we talk about today, the soul of money. Money actually can help us accelerate our spiritual growth, and money is often also the culprit why we don't grow at all. Because money has a lot of tightness around it, and unless we learn to let it go and be free with it, then there is some tightness that holds us back in our spiritual work as well. So here are some um, quotes that I really like from Robert Louis Stevenson. Those of you who get texts on Mondays, Thursdays and Saturdays, got this one yesterday. Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. That's often forgotten when we think about money. 
We're only looking at what we get for our money, but we often don't look what we can also seed with the same function, with the same amount. It is health which is real wealth and not pieces of gold and silver. Gandhi said that once. And the Dalai Lama said, man sacrifices his health in order to make money, and then he sacrifices money in order to recuperate his health. Isn't that true? So today, I want to introduce to you a book that was recommended to me by a fellow minister um, who happens to feel the same way about uh, prosperity classes, which you've probably heard before, like I do. Sometimes I feel like prosperity classes are too tight around the topic of money and don't really resonate so much on the bigger issue that's surrounding, because money is just a vehicle, and we tend to forget that vehicle. And so she recommended this book, and I haven't read it before, um, and... But I found it very interesting because she takes a very non-spiritual, non-religious approach. Uh, Lynn Twist is the author. She has raised millions and millions, tens and hundreds of millions of dollars as a fundraiser. And she has her own experience with money. She has um, experience with both the poor and the wealthy and how they all relate to money. It's a very interesting read. But what I want to do today is really dive into what she is saying and see if we can connect it to some of the scripture that we have available to us. So to kind of find out, does her experience that doesn't seem to be really too related to a spiritual path actually equate with a path that we could take? And I'm warning you already, I'm going to keep a good good eye on my watch there in front of me, um, I might have to just stop right in the middle and then just take it up next time again. So it's one of those that can easily go into a two-parter. And that's not just because of the topic of money, just because the introduction of this topic alone can go very far. So one of the things that we can ask ourselves going by this title of the book, well, what is the soul of money. And Lynn makes a very interesting observation. First of all, she says, I'm not talking about the religious or spiritual definition of the soul. We talked about the soul over the past few weeks quite significantly in connection with the idea of awakening, enlightening, what happens to our soul, what happens when we reincarnate and all that. She's not going into that at all. She's actually defining it like the most universal soulful commitments and values. That's what she is saying. She is talking about the soul, what drives all of us, the well-being of the people we love love ourselves and the world we live in. She actually writes it very beautifully. So I want to read directly from the book. When she looks at soul, she looks at it as something that connects all of us beyond our beliefs, our politics, our upbringing, 
our heritage. She says, I believe that under it all, when you get right down to it and uncover all the things we're told to believe in, or things we are maneuvered and manipulated to believe in, or even things we cho choose to believe in, what deeply matters to human beings, our most universal soulful commitments and core values, is the well-being of the people we love, ourselves, and the world in which we live. Isn't that wonderful? Couldn't we all agree to that? <clears throat> Even within unity, we have very different ways of believing. Some of us still follow a more traditional way of believing in our personal relationship with God. Others have moved on in the different ways of connecting with that, more according to principle. But even that doesn't matter according to her when it comes to the soul. When it comes to the true soul, I agree with her that ultimately, when we break it down to the most basic things in life, all we must want for each and every one of us at the core of who we are is the well-being for ourselves and each other. And I think that's just such a beautiful, simple way of putting it. It's not complicated, isn't it? So, then where do we go from here? What soul do we put into our money? In scripture, Oh, let me, let me get to this first. So let's look at the well-being of the people. We love ourselves and the world we live in. What do you think when we connect it, try to connect it to Scripture or anything we hear from Scripture? What do you think, what image comes to mind when you hear this? The well-being of the people we love, ourselves, and the world we live in. Love your neighbors as yourself. Anything else? Say again. Sense of family. What are some typical scriptural words like in Genesis, for example? Genesis chapter 2 is about? Let me help you. <laughs> Garden of Eden, paradise, kingdom of heaven, heaven on earth, kingdom of God. Ultimately, the well-being for ourselves and each other is a way of describing the Garden of Eden, the way of describing how heaven would look like on earth, where all it is about and all we do from that moment on is to take care of each other and to be interested in each other's well-being. Wouldn't that be heaven? Now, the scripture that connects to that is from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek, if he, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. It's after a long explanation, you know, about the lilies in the fields and about the birds in the air that we don't have to worry and all that. But that's kind of like the conclusion here, that we must first seek the kingdom of God, or as Lynn probably would look, would take it, 
the soul with which we all connect, we must always first seek that, and then things will be given on to us. She has a beautiful story in that book where she is fundraising from some event and she goes to the CEO and as she enters the office of that CEO, she already felt the energy. He did not want to give her money. But because she was an experienced fundraiser and she knew her way around how to encourage people to give money, eventually she walked out with a check of $50,000. Yay, good for her. But as she was going on to raise funds and eventually went up to the big, came to the big event, she learned something very important. She met someone by the name of Gertrude who taught her that the amount itself is less important, but the love and care that goes into it. That woman gave so much energy into whatever she was giving and so much love and care and interest into the cause that was supporting the money that she gave that it dawned on Lynn that the $50,000 that the CEO gave had the wrong vibration. She raised so much money that she didn't need the $50,000, so she actually sent the $50,000 check back to the CEO and said, thank you very much, but after further consideration, I don't think your heart was really in it, and I really want you to take that money and put it where your heart is. And that is actually one of the core ideas she has in this book, is that it's not so much how much money we give, or how much money we have, and how much we are willing to share. But it's very important to understand the energy that we put behind it. Do we love the giving that we do? Because when we love the giving that we do, we follow this commandment to first seek the kingdom of God. Now, we do this in many different ways. We can first look at, again, is my money that I give, that I share freely, is it resonating with what I believe is helping either my well-being or that of my loved ones or that of the whole world? Or is there another organization or another person that I believe would be much more aligned with the soul? that I want to put into this money. So it's a very interesting topic to talk about, and she does a really good job diving into the idea that money has this soul connected to it and that we are all responsible of bringing that soul alive. And so it becomes less of, yeah, here, have some money. It becomes more of an intent of something important, something that we truly believe in, that we want to share. She talks about the toxic myths of money. There's three topics, myths, that she mentions. One is, there is not enough. Who has not thought about that before, right? 
that's probably one of the biggest ones for all of us, is that money will run out. If you have grown up in pretty much any modern society, then what we are taught is we have to put money away over our lifetimes, and then it will be available to us when we get older and are no longer able or willing to work, and then hopefully that money lasts until the very end, or hopefully we die before the money runs out, right? Ever thought about that? Okay, ever had that idea? So that's kind of like that there is not enough. It doesn't mean that those thoughts are wrong, because we do live in a, in a system in the society that we have to adhere to, and we have some pressures that are going on, but the idea that there is not enough goes directly against the idea that money can actually be very useful. She actually mentions that when we follow this principle, what happens is that we are not the person that we are supposed to be. If we come from a lack consciousness, in her case, she uses the word scarcity, if we come from that kind of energy, we're actually holding our entire person, who we are, back. And we're doing this inspired by the money, by holding back money because of the fear of scarcity. We're actually not holding back money, we're holding back ourselves. And this is something I've mentioned many times before, that money is a very small, tiny little thing that we look at when it comes to prosperity. The bigger picture is that we're actually learning through money, we're learning so much about everything else there is to learn about ourselves and others. It's just, again, one of those little tiny vehicles. Our soul is crushed under the belief of not enough, and our money is tainted with that idea equally. If we believe that there is not enough, we're actually believing that our soul is not enough, that who we are is not enough. It all goes through. It's usually just not one thing. And the beauty is that we can actually train our way of thinking in all the different areas that are worthwhile looking at. For example, our self-worth. If we look at our self-worth and we realize that we lack self-worth, we have scarcity of self-worth, that we believe that we are not enough, we can train ourselves to be more of that and then also learn to understand that we can be a little bit less tight on the money. The second thing is, especially for us Texans here, right? More is better. <laughs> the, our toast is better. Our, what, what is, everything is bigger in Texas, right? So the idea of more is better is absolutely ingrained in a lot of ways in that idea. And again, we're not here to judge these ideas. We're here to look at it where they actually potentially stand in the way of our own spiritual growth. Lynn says in one, in this particular chapter, to believe in more is better 
is to believe in a chase with no end, a race we cannot win. Because when we believe that more is always better, we believe in something that is really not true. Research in psychology has proven that over and over, or shown that over and over again, since about the late 1980s, where in particular, some psychologists were looking at what's called subjective well-being, the well-being that we experience. And they were looking at it and comparing it to income, uh, environment, circumstances, social connections, and so on. And they found out that as long as someone has the basics covered, like food and shelter, has loving and kind relationships, that well-being goes from zero relatively up, relatively steep, to the point until that is covered. But once the basics are covered, then it doesn't matter how much money you have, it only goes up very, very, very slowly. And actually, some research has found that if you go into the very wealthy, it can actually go back down again. And so she makes this point multiple times in this book, that she has seen people that have been very poor, but they have not believed in this idea of more is better or that, that there is not enough. Instead, they have been satisfied with what they have and said, that's all I really need. And their happiness and their attachment to money has, a, has had a completely different relationship or different way they were relating to everything in their lives, including themselves. At the same time, as a fundraiser, she had access to millionaires and billionaires who were deeply unhappy. Even though they had a lot of money, it became about making more and more and more because there was a belief that there is not enough. In one example, they were she was talking about the person who inherited a lot of old money. But that old money was not used in order to put in the soul of what we all believe in, to support the well-being of everyone. That money was just used to protect the money, to protect itself, so it can continue on for a very limited amount of people within that family. And finally, that's just the way it is. That's the other toxic myth. It's just the way it is, right? It's just the way our system works. Once I turn 65, 70 years old, I'm too old to get a reasonable job. It's just the way it is. I was only able to save so much money for my retirement. It's just the way it is. Gas prices are way up high right now. It's just the way it is. It's another way of giving up and not understanding that we have the power within all of us to make the changes that we seek. Oops, go back. She actually mentions justifies greed 
This particular one, just the way it is, justifies greed, prejudice, and inaction that scarcity fosters. So then, we have the truth of sufficiency, money like water. And here is where I'm looking at my time, and I'm going to have to start slowing down and just wait for the next piece. But I do want to leave, leave you with a little bit of positivity because we don't want to leave it at that <laughs> kind of end. Because this one is really interesting. The truth of sufficiency is that money is like water. Eric Butterworth, in a couple of his books that he um, published, a unity minister and an excellent author and writer, he uses water as a way to explain abundance and prosperity. He's basically saying um, prosperity and abundance or money is like, like having water when we open up the faucet. It's like being at home. Every time we open up the faucet, water is coming out. And he equates this with, as long as we are willing up to open up our energies, we will always have enough. It's like water. In her particular example, she uses it a little bit differently. She says, we are the ones who decide whether the money flows just like a rush of a hurricane or a waterfall, or if it just trickles out a little bit. Butterworth, again, actually equates that with, with another example that's probably one of my favorite examples is like think of a water faucet at home and what we really could be doing is just turn it a little bit to open it up. But because of our belief system that there is not enough, that there is more is better, we, what we're doing is, you know, one of those big plumbing wrenches you know one of the red big ones, you know, that you use to kind of like open up something really badly? And uh, so what Butterworth is saying is it's like we're, we're looking at the faucet and it would be so easy for us to just turn it a little bit more if we were just willing, more willing to give. But instead, we're using this big wrench and we're just not getting it. We're just standing there trying to open that that faucet, and he said, how can I get more money in my life? It's because of the attitude we have to money that we often feel like we need to use a wrench rather than to have to just simply do a little twist of our hand or our fingers. So that is a, a really good image, I think, from Butterworth here. But we also have what she is saying, when it is flowing, the water, it can purify, cleanse, create, growth, and nourish. But when it is blocked or held too long, it can grow stagnant and toxic to those withholding or hoarding it. Have you ever put some water in a dish that you were supposed to clean and you left it in the sink for too long? not very nice smell, right, <laughs> after a while. And so I like the idea of water and flow when it comes to money. First, the idea that the soul of money connects directly to something that we all want, essentially, regardless of our upbringing, our background, our beliefs. And the second, 
that money is flowing all the time. It's just a matter of us learning to use that flow appropriately. We even have a story in Matthew chapter 6 where it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. It's a beautiful connection to what I believe Lynn says Lynn is saying here in a very different way. And finally, Charles Fillmore, our co-founder in the Revealing Word, says, prosperity, about prosperity, giving in the right mental attitude creates prosperity. Giving with the fear of lack leads to poverty. So that was, I guess, part one of two or three. We don't know yet. And uh, as we get ready for meditation, I do want to share our last slide. Maybe the, the tech team can help me to go to the last slide. There you go. And those of you who have given in April, you have received, I think yesterday, um, our, the little thank you note I write every month. For those of you who are contributing on a regular basis, again, thank you so much for doing this on a regular basis so that we can keep this up and alive. And I shared this quote with all of you who received that letter yesterday. And it's from Unity Magazine, 1911. Imagine that, 1911. It ended up in her book, How to Let God Help You, but that's when she first wrote it. And I want to take this as a lead-in to our meditation because what I love about Myrtle so much is where Charles has the brilliance and the genius of understanding metaphysics and understanding how things really work. Myrtle has the heart to break it down for those of us who don't have the genius of Charles <laughs> and make it a little bit easier to understand. So I want to read this to you before we move into meditation. You are not to take your prosperity as a matter of fact. You are to be as deeply grateful for every demonstration as you would be for some unexpected treasure poured into your lap. You are to expect prosperity because you're keeping the law, the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God first. That's the law. And you are to give thanks for every blessing that you gain. This will keep your heart fresh. So when it comes to money, I know it's a difficult topic to talk about. But it is a way of keeping our hearts fresh if we do it the right way. How do we do it the right way? We often don't know until later on. Is it about supporting this community or another community? Is it about supporting a charity or not? That is for you to say. It's, it's in your heart. Because you already know what is yours to do. You already know how you would like to contribute. More important than anything, 
more important than where the money goes to is that the energy that you put in the money before you give it is the energy that connects with your soul and your spirit. And then money can become a spiritual practice rather than a hindrance. So I want to leave us, all of us, with that for today and begin our meditation. already know what to do. Listen to the music, give your body a rest. Allow your breath to sink in more deeply. Breathe all the way down in your belly and savor the moment of fresh oxygen coming into your body. And as you exhale, you may release anything that you're ready to. meditation, we allow ourselves to remember it feels like reconnecting and yet it is different because we can never be disconnected Allow our hearts and minds to settle and harmonize. And we allow ourselves to be just as we are. The idea that there is not enough may still be there and yet we just don't give any power to it. We may even think that more is better still. So we release that. And for certain, we know by now that we can change our mind and heart at any given moment. We recognize the divine within through the many faces and stories and scriptures we know. 
whatever resonates with us, sets us on the path to the core of our being. Right now, we're not holding back. We surrender, we're in this moment. We're present. Right now, we do not fear. We do not fear any lack, any resistance. We simply move into joy and understanding of the truth that we already are. God just is, and so are we. We liken Christ to be an expression of this very simple fact. Out of the burning bush, it said, I am that I am. The true name that God has given all of us. The true name that we are giving ourselves. Charles Fillmore said about prosperity that we should be grateful for anything in our lives because it all comes from God. The infinite potential and possibility. Whatever we desire in our hearts and minds, is determined to be manifested in one way or another. So as we loosen our grip on money and anything in our lives, love and care and kindness, We rejoice always as we give thanks in all circumstances. And as we give thanks, we remember Paul saying that this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for all of us. And with that, we take into our day and every day the grace and glory that we already are. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org.